Baby girl. This is for you. You know who you are. shitty but we're gonna try to do what we can to make do wow the cursing is already starting on we all have an x chromosome my name is bill i'm noelle and let's go through we have a guest today we're gonna be talking a lot about health and equity and we're gonna go down bill we're gonna be talking about health and equity and trying to throw some verbal kittens in just to lighten the load as we call it so on to business before we rest of the stuff. You can find us on our website at xchromosomepodcast.com. This has all of our links to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, things that people want to go and see. It also has links to our Patreon and direct links for donating, which currently what we're doing is fundraising for the showcase of Gretchen from our previous episode doing a dance routine as Boba Fett to Fett's Vet by DJ Chris. Um, so that's going to be... <laughs> um, it also goes through and helps us to try to support other people and that helps support us while supporting people that need to get things done through firewalls and paywalls and other things like that. Um, you can also go through and write us at write us at xchromosomepodcast.com. We'd like to hear your feedback. Also, also like, subscribe, rate, review on all your podcasting platforms. Now, back to the email real quick. Next month is Pride Month. So we want your ideas of what you want to hear about Pride. So let us know. Write us at xchromosomepodcast.com. Write us at xchromosomepodcast.com. Now, we do have a guest today, and I'm going to bring this to the point that people may or may not realize, but... um, I basically have both my moms online. Um, near the end of the old organization that we were a part of, Mino we were a part of, um, both of these, both Noelle and our guest, Amanda, were my character's sires. <laughs> so I have Vamp Mom 1 and Vamp Mom 2 on, the, on this podcast. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. <laughs> It's your Huffle Mom and Slither Mom. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> and the Huffle Mom, it was a venture too, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Not much at all, really, when you think about it. <laughs> all right, so um, your Slither, your Slither Mom was murdered for not being evil enough. So <laughs> I know. I feel like right? you should have reversed all of that. Pause. Reverse. Switch. <laughs> no, no, it's strike that. Reverse it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I found that a little bit funny that the, it finally has happened that both of you are on the same podcast at the same time. Um, well, we were in the same bar at the same time uh, in February. Were, it was were. fun. And then everything went to shit and both yes. of our lives exploded because we're both in healthcare. Yes. Everybody in here is either in healthcare or healthcare adjacent. I'm the healthcare adjacent one. Um, and that's why this is affecting all of us because we all have to deal with this. 
Um, I get so many phone calls with people worried about getting their help that they need due to the pandemic. Um, there are other things that have come down in the state that we have to file through, which is a pain in the neck, especially for those that are immuno, uh, immuno suppressed. It's just compromised. Compromised. Thank you. Um, it's just a world of chaos and Amanda, hand washing. Amanda, how how dry are your hands from all the hand washing you? <laughs> um, I had a problem with that like before all of this started. So basically, I you know from the wrist down, I'm just a skeleton. <laughs> like you know, old saying of uh, nurses. Uh, the body of a goddess and the hands of a crone. <laughs> I don't know about the goddess part, but my hands are pretty rough. Just remember, so, goddesses come in all shapes and round as a shape. <laughs> I like to say that I have a body of a god, Buddha. <laughs> right. So, um, but you're... seriously, you're adorable. So stop it. Thank you. <laughs> so you're a nurse, and you're on the front lines of this whole entire thing, pretty much. Well, <laughs> I um. I'm very fortunate that uh, the population that I work with uh, is very controlled. So um, as long as we keep that controlled, then we're okay. Basically, we're at the front door keeping everything safe so that they're not exposed. We're not exposing ourselves as well. Yeah, so you're Uh, facility-based. I am not in a facility, no. I work in essentially a group home. Um, So I have more than one patient at a time. But they, um, they do go out into the community uh, until re- as of recently, and no one's going anywhere. Uh, but um, they are. Uh, I work with uh, MRDD individuals and DD individuals. Um, and for those who don't know what that means, DD means developmentally uh, disabled. So um, I have. Uh, I call them my kids, but they're not really kids anymore. They're they're young adults. But. Um, they are patients who are associated with um, Children's Hospital, Nationwide Children's Hospital here in Columbus, and, uh, and they uh, they go out of the community, they go to school, they go to dayhab programs, things like that. But when they're not doing that and they're in their uh, group environment at home, then they are with me. So, uh, so my job is to keep them as healthy as possible. There is um, the reason that they have nurses is because there uh, there are a lot of uh, outlying medical conditions uh, that go along with all of that as well. So that's that's my job. Thankfully, I have not had to step into a hospital in a nursing capacity since all this occurred. Same, although it's pretty scary working with the elderly and doing yeah. home health because you know I'm the one going to the grocery store for people, right? And that's what makes me so damn crazy about. Oh well. I could accept this amount of risk. My patients didn't agree right. to your amount of risk, Karen. Put on a fucking map. <laughs> I didn't agree to your amount of risk. I'm we just didn't, a worker. Uh, we didn't I even didn't get PPE until a couple of weeks ago. So about a week or so ago. Uh, we didn't have masks, which while we're in the home environment is not, we don't really need to wear them. But when we go out and come back in, we should be having them on. So we're not exposing our patients and we're not, you know, helping on them or whatever. And uh, we didn't even have masks. We were using, like, masks that people had made for us. That's mostly where we're at. Um, But their high-quality Renaissance Festival grade seamstressing. (laughs) So it's multiple layers of quilting fabric. The seams are all really beautiful. This is, they are, you know, the masks I have are beautiful pieces of of 
sewing that I cannot do. And they keep me safe. And I've actually sourced cloth masks for some patients because they're old and they don't know how to Etsy. <laughs> they barely email. I mean, I'm lucky when they know how to text me to tell me things instead of telephone. Text you? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> some of them are, are hip and a little younger and can text me. And it's pretty amazing. <laughs> but, Parents are like uh, in their 60s and 70s. And, and I wish I had never... My mom had to use a text app. It's the only way my father communicates with me. Well, I like it that way. It gives me a chance to formulate a measured response. Yeah, my family is basically through uh, Facebook Messenger at this point. So I, I don't remember the last time I actually talked to anybody on, my on the phone. Family on Facebook, that's terrifying. <laughs> it's, it's interesting being on this end, and you kind of feel ignored. Yes. Everybody's like, oh, hospital nurses. And for me specifically, it's like, nurses are doing all of this stuff. Most of people having the most contact are making minimum wage and are not nurses. People, I don't think people realize. Um, I think they, the average person probably thinks that nurses make an insane amount of money. And, that, you know, and, and in some positions, nurses do get paid rather well. Um, still sometimes not enough in my opinion, but, uh, that they naturally assume that, uh, other healthcare workers make that amount of money as well. And it's amazing to me that people don't realize that there are people paid more to work in fast food and that get paid to take care of our elders and get paid. Not that there's anything wrong with being paid to work in fast food and get paid well. No, but uh, we I think it's really sad that, you know, you can have a skill set that you showering and changing diapers and giving medications and doing all these things for a human being you're only making ten dollars eleven dollars an hour yes yeah, so they wonder why there's problems in nursing homes with aids right right with, yeah and, and home why stnas or cnas depending on what state you're in right. maybe why they're, in why they're depressed <laughs> maybe staff us better and pay us and you'll attract the sort of people who actually care. And you'll keep the sort of people who actually care. And I know there's turnover in um, the MRDD yes. as well. Some of the highest turnover rates for healthcare, aside from the elderly, uh, is uh, MRDD nursing and psych nursing. And um, also prison work. And those are considered what they would call a low job. It's It's something that as a nurse, it's not like you're going to get prestige for it uh, as an STNA as well. You know, not on television shows. You know, it's not like ER or Grey's Anatomy where everyone like wears pretty scrubs and, you know, <laughs> has their hair done just right. And uh, or it's not like, you know, life in the ER where everything's fast paced. You know, it's it's a job, you know, I'm, you know, not doing something that a lot of people would glorify and get hyped about, like, you know, cool nursing jobs, quote unquote. Yeah. being hip deep in somebody else's shower is certainly not a glamorous <laughs> I've I've had some adventures um, uh, I ended up having to trans having to transfer a patient who did not want to be transferred um, into a shower and to get him in safely I ended up in the shower <laughs> sitting there was like a built-in bench so I'm in this standing shower sitting on the bench next to him trying to uh -huh. do my job and there was some cognitive issue. And this poor guy is not entirely sure what's going on. 
And at this point, neither am I. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep calm so that I can sure. get him to calm down so that nobody gets hurt. And I think that's another of the, you know, inequities in healthcare is that people don't realize how dangerous it is. That you wouldn't for, think about. And then there's the emotional labor. Right. I mean, my aunt retired from uh, the James. She retired from cancer research. Oh. Um, the amount of money she made during her career does not come close to compensating her for the amount of work she did because right. she was, you know, she was doing breast cancer research and she was doing ovarian cancer research. She's working with people who are in clinical trials. You know, this may I or may not work for them. I did hospice for a while and for years I said I didn't want to do pediatrics because I didn't want to uh, work with children, not because I don't like children, but because I didn't want to get attached to them. And uh, because I was afraid that, you know, they would die. And I have, I have had a patient that passed away since I started working in Pete's. But um, with that, when I, when I was doing, uh, working with patients that were in hospice and things like that, uh, thinking about your aunt working in uh, with cancer patients, you know, you think someone might glorify that and go, oh, there's people that they're saving. And you have to remember, you know, from an emotional standpoint too, that people that work in that, in that sector are also dealing with a lot of people who are not surviving. And so okay. that emotional toll after a while, is sort of like um, 9-11 when the body dogs kept going in to look for bodies and they couldn't find anyone else. So occasionally they would have to let them find someone just so that they wouldn't get depressed. Because, you know, the, the mortality rate, you know, you're looking at certain types of cancers that, you know, they're, they're looking for a cure for. Well, mm -hmm. those cancers are not real good for survivability. So, <laughs> you know, imagine that would be a very depressing, depressing line of uh, healthcare to be in. Uh, she's a pretty tough lady, um, to be uh, honest. I'm, I'm proud to know her. Our, we have a family friend who is um, an infectious disease nurse, and Ooh. I think she, um, she's with the AIDS Clinical Trials Unit. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, I have these incredibly compassionate women as examples for my nursing career, which is beginning and ending as a nurse aide, because I'm 40 and I'm tired and I don't want to be responsible for somebody's meds or catheter uh, and all the debt that goes on all of that fun stuff. <laughs> no, no. All right. I'm going to be right back. I have to step away for a moment. Okay. He must have to go cough. <sighs> but yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting experience. There was a piece today in the dispatch in like the opinion section that my one patient who gets the dispatch <laughs> stopped and pointed out to me. And it was about how, you know, home health care workers, because even home health nurses, this is not the glamorous job where there's money. <laughs> you do well compared to a lot of home health nurses. Um, a comparison, because we're working with more patients. Uh, so we're doing more technically, you know, doing more work. Therefore, I get paid more. Um, but uh, yeah, by and large, it, average amount that a nurse makes compared to their education in home health nursing is kind of nauseating. Mm. So Depending if someone's going into that field, group. right, they obviously are doing it because they feel called, not because they're trying to, uh, you know, rake in the dew. <laughs> I mean, one of my adventures today involved making sure my patient's primary caregiver did not go arse over tea kettle on 
some chicken shit and rain and mud slurry. Thanks. Yes. She kept slipping and I said, don't you dare fall. Because <laughs> I can't fit in the coop with her. And because if we both go down, we're both screwed. Because she'd oh be on top God. of me. And, you know, we'd both be coated. It was the last patient of the day. So if I had gotten coated in chicken shit and mud, <laughs> I would have just tried to call home and have clean clothes brought to me because I'm five minutes from the house. That's an interesting thing. Um, ever keep a bag in the car with, with clothing? Because I do. <laughs> I have two shirts. I don't have any pants. I have shirts and underwear and sports bra and socks. I just keep a clean pair of, of clothes of some kind, like scrubs or something in my car, because I can't tell you how many times sat in something gross or gotten puked on or had formula spilled on me or what have you. And uh, I always think, meh, I'll be fine. And then the time that I think that is the time I need it. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I am building like a kit that's got like, on-the-go wipes and deodorant wipes, like Pacifica makes them, so that I can basically take a take a shower. Yeah, very without... lucky. The location that I work at is pretty cushy in that way too. Um, the uh, guardian, the parent of these kids, um, is actually a nurse, so um, it works out that you know she she understands what's required in a home. Mm. And uh, in a home setting. So it's very, very nice. It's in Hilliard. It's in a good neighborhood. I've had some home health jobs that were in some pretty, pretty rough parts of Columbus. Um, the, you know, like the, the dad's, dad had to walk me out to my car at night because he was worried for my safety kind of thing, you know. So that it's, it's a better, much better environment. Yeah. I mean, I'm out in rural Delaware County. <laughs> so I get things like, I hit a deer New Year's Eve. Oh, no. Totaled my car. Uh, I have never, knock on wood, hit a deer. I don't or, recommend it. I don't recommend it. I don't it know how I've avoided it because I lived in Coshocton pretty much my whole life up until 2006. So there are more deer than people in Coshocton County. Back. Uh, got quiet. I was worried. <laughs> Oh, no, it's fine. My husband said something nice about me and drew my attention to it, and so I have to go pay attention to it. So, since there's a lull in activity, it sounds, while well, I had to go through, make a break for it. <laughs> we were chitty-chatting. Let's talk about one of the verbal kittens that we pulled up. That okay. is health-related, health but still, it's good news, so to speak. Um, NPR, fear of con contracting coronavirus propels some smokers to quit. Oh, good. We're killing <laughs> something else. Hey. But yeah, there's early studies that are going on that's showing that um, because it looks like this disease is 14 times more likely to require intensive treatment in smokers, um, the California hotline for uh, smoking recovery has been starting to get lighted up with people that have been trying to quit because they don't want to increase their chances of getting infected. So they're like, maybe this is the best time to actually start. Well, maybe it should have started earlier than this, but um, that's besides the point. <laughs> I have but, a loved one or two that I should bring this up to. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is based off of uh, conversations that are going through in studies in California. Um, and they're wondering... Makes sense. 
they're also wondering that because California already had a low smoking rate, if that's going to help California in general with the pandemic, because with you'll have to start in the future comparing higher smoking rates with other states with California to see just how effective, in addition to social distancing policies, that the smoking would have with that. Now, I have at least, unless she decided to quit and she didn't tell me, which she doesn't tell me, anyway, anything anyway, um, I know at least I have one family member that still smokes. Uh, two, two of you count my stepfather. Um, so it's interesting to see what their thought pattern, would be interesting to see what their thought patterns on this was. The, if I actually could have a conversation that doesn't bring up the man in the red hat. Thanks. <laughs> so what are your I thoughts on this? Mine? I, uh, I, uh, stands to reason that, you know, I mean, smoking obviously, you know, affects your bronchioles and, and, uh, contracting coronavirus. That's usually what happens is they end up getting the, the pneumonia symptoms or, or what eventually it's usually taking these people. So, um, uh, you know, if you're a smoker and you get pneumonia, wait now. Um, it's going to be way harder for you to get over it. So it stands to reason that, you know, coronavirus would be much worse for a smoker than for a non-smoker. Because uh, you just don't have the lung capacity to, to expel those secretions. Eventually they settle in there and cause infection and then you eventually succumb to those uh, symptoms. The, the pneumonia. Uh, but um, I think it would be a great way to open up a conversation with someone who had been digging their heels in. Mm-hmm. Hey, what else? <laughs> On top of everything else. I, and this is coming from someone I used to smoke. So, you know, nothing worse than that person giving unsolicited advice. advice. But um, how long have you quit for? Uh, I was like 17. And uh, I quit when I was around 20. 627. So the good news is with that is, uh, you know, a smoker can, the lung tissue will recover. So that's something to bring up as well to those people that it's not like uh, other parts of your body that, you know, once damaged can't uh, regenerate. And that way our lung tissue is uh, almost creepy that it, it will generate and grow new cells. And eventually your lungs, you know, within a year or two up to, you know, five years later will be like, it's like you never, you never smoked. Just kind of cool. That's kind of that's a kind of funny thought thinking about that. Um, my mom had passed away due to cancer, <coughs> um, but the funny story about her cancer was the fact that she has been a smoker. She had been a smoker ever since she was like fourteen, fifteen, and was like usually dr- smoking like up to two packs, two to three packs a day. So. Oh. When they realized that she had cancer, they're like, oh, well, this is going to be completely obvious. It's going to be in her lungs because of her smoking habits. Mm-hmm. So they go through, do all the scans, all the biopsies of her lungs, and no cancer. And their doctors are like, what the ever-loving fuck? <laughs> and, my mom, and my mom's like, ha, huh, see, I can still smoke. They're like, no, you can't smoke because we need to try and not find out what's killing you. It later turned out to be um, colon-related. Oh, um, wow. But it's still, I, my mom always felt, before she passed away, felt that was like a victory that... Because <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, she was like, yeah, if they said it was in my lungs, they'd be like, yep, that was my fault, my bad. <laughs> but sure. it wasn't. You know, I always tell people, I had this conversation with my dad, because uh, my dad is a heart patient. Um, he has a congenital <laughs> defect, and he's had many open heart surgeries, and 
and whatnot. And he also smoked uh, for years. And then he quit when I was around 11, but then he picked him back up again off and on. And the last couple of years, he's been smoking again. Well, uh, long story short, uh, and I, the conversation I had with him was, you know, his brother died of uh, lung cancer a couple of years ago. And uh, he says to me, I know what you're going to say. You're going to bring up Steve. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Because cancer is terrifying, but usually... I think Noelle can attest to this as well. You know, a lot of her geriatric patients who have, uh, you're much more likely to come across someone who has emphysema or COPD. Mm-hmm. And, and cigarette smoking, you know, you say, oh, you might never get cancer. You absolutely will get these. And the longer you smoke, it's an inevitability. Like, it's going to happen. <laughs> so, but, you know, that's a good way to get someone to actually... So see these people with, with coronavirus who are drowning in their own fluids? That's going to be you 100% in about 20 years. Ugh. Same difference. So, yeah. You know, and there's, there's lots of things to die from. So I add to the pile. Like, I, I figure, you know, I have a left strikes against me. Why should I smoke? <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, I'm sitting here eating McDonald's because my grub also came. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel that, man. <laughs> And fried chicken today for lunch, so. <laughs> well, I had greens for breakfast, so I had something healthy. So, so do what um, we can. One of the things I couldn't find the article, but um, what's both of your thoughts about the, all the states with their various reopening plans? I know you guys would have more details on <laughs> Ohio, for example, but um, well, what's your thought patterns with the? States trying to reopen as soon as possible. Like, oh, it's almost like they're, everybody's getting pressured because of the, um, basically terrorism, to my view, but that's besides yeah. the point. Let's call that what it is. So, you think that this is more because of the Karens and Steves with rifles trying to terrorize the government into moving, or because they just are wanting to worry about the economy or whatever? It's our culture. Yeah. It's like a whole bunch of little things, but it's our culture. People aren't listening. Like, just because they're saying, you know, these are the new requirements and things are moving forward and they're trying to experimentally go forward, in my opinion, faster than we should. Uh, people inevitably, because of, as Noel says, our cult- culture, don't listen. And so they hear what they want to hear. And like a good example, you know, we've had two bars in Columbus uh, that got citations just the other night because they were to bursting with people but, you know they don't listen when the governor says you know still practice social distancing people think oh it's over now yeah so. we had a um a city councilor up in uh the city of malden that um had a birthday party with multiple people at it at one of the rest at a restaurant basically treating it as if, because they were the city councilor they were exempt exempt from the rulings about the social distancing and everything like that <laughs> so police had to go in and break up the party so embarrassing i think that you had a good point when you say it's it's our culture to a larger extent you know we're in the situation and the position that we are just because of what we do when you know when the government tells us there's a pandemic but just seems to me especially with um to pick on them but the the boomer generation they hear what they want to hear is anyone else experiencing this with them that doesn't matter how many times they hear something stupid or how many times they hear something the lie. Eventually, you know, there's enough mounting evidence against, uh, say, the president or who this person that they voted for that uh, should condemn him. You're going to trust the CDC? 
Right, but you know they would rather go down with the ship and to to admit that they wrote they voted for the wrong person or that they somehow went you know and and listened to somebody that they shouldn't have and uh, there's this like sticking their fingers in their ears and going la 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 kind of thing and uh, I I was having a conversation with someone not that long ago about um, inflexibility the older we get. And how the older a person gets, the more inflexible they are psychologically to change. So it's almost like between our culture and then that age bracket of people, it's like a perfect storm for them just to completely ignore everything that's going on around them and go, no, no, this is fine. We just had a power surge. Yeah, we've got weather. <laughs> One of the things that, in relation to that, I also think that a lot of the boomer generation that did vote for Trump, I don't even think that they're just doubling down on the fact that they voted. I think that they still actually believe the vitriol that comes out of his mouth. Because they have to. Because there are there are boomers that are like, oh crap, I should have never voted for this guy. What did I do? It's like, well, we told you that that before. Um my older sister, um, barely barely Gen X from the boomer side. Um she realized she's been going on about um she's been like very anti-trump very recently because she's realizing what the hell what did i do because my family lives in a swing state in it lives in florida on which is a swing state on the florida panhandle which is basically the highest concentration of conservatives in florida so they just added to the numbers yeah and it wasn't even what about her emails they just like i just don't like her <laughs> yeah amazing how emotionally invested people get in that way in voting, you know, or like a weird in, in stupid ways that don't matter. Like, I don't like the way that he's dressed or the way that she looks today or just amazing. We all have a bias some kind. Yeah. More than others. I remember as a kid in the grocery store with my parents listening to two women talk about the upcoming election when Bill Clinton was running the first time. It always stuck with me. I would have been, gosh, I, I'm thinking I would have been around like 10 or something like that, but I need to do the math on that because I'm not entirely certain about that. Might have been younger. Uh, one lady says to the other lady, well, I'm going to vote for him just because he's good looking. And, and I thought, even at that young age, I thought, boy, there's a lot wrong with what you just said. My mom was a registered Democrat at the time, and that's the reason why she voted for him. Yeah, I mean, that's my father votes is he's he's a registered republican so it wouldn't matter if you know they put a polished turd up for election that's who he's going to vote for the link that i just said the first link is written by craig and it says to read the complete revanche cycle first i'm having a sidebar i'm intimately familiar with these novels i read most of them in yes. alpha They're yeah Scroll to the fucking bottom of that page. The second. It's the first Daniel Faust novel. But <sighs> Baby, I read all four of the Revanche Cycle before they came out. I was an alpha. I was a beta reader. I'm going, but like, but what? Scroll down the fucking page. Yes. Did you see the asterisk? Did you scroll down to the asterisk? Yes, yeah. It doesn't matter. No, it's not. It's part of the overarching story, but the Revanche Cycle is a separate Parallel. Yes, it does. It matters. <sighs> Just what I want. Shush, Craig. Like, let's bring Craig on next week. See what he says. Uh, I'm sorry about fighting with my spouse. It, it's the point of order thing. Craig liked it. You hush.
is Craig. <laughs> uh, not the bot. Uh, Craig Schaefer is an author friend of mine. Um, <laughs> I was wondering, I'm like, Craig the bot? <laughs> no, the bot's fine. <gasps> I got the... Uh, I'm sorry, a complete sidebar kitten. Football, Ohio State football players will return to campus on June 8th. Happy birthday to me. We get practice. Per report. Early? Wow. Well, they haven't the been ball, able though. they haven't been able to practice. All organized activities are suspended work. until the first of June. Yeah. yeah. Sports be okay for them then. I mean, they're willing to be quarantined. So there, now that I'm done being distracted, we can get back to the, the serious grim business of health inequity and, and how all of the stuff we're talking about is impacting oh, you know, our marginalized communities, the elderly, the not <laughs> the not as abled. I don't know what your what your official terminology um, is, and I don't want to be an asshole. Well, honestly, uh, this is interesting sidebar conversation to get into. I've um, worked in a population of folks for many, many years, and um, word that uh, I've gosh, now I think about it, almost twenty years. Um, like crap, I'm old. <laughs> There's a word uh, that people get really hung up on. And uh, word, the word retarded causes a lot of uh, emotional responses in people. As it should. And um, well, it's, it's used in different ways. And context is, is very important. Um, and one of the times that people get upset when they see it is on medical records. Uh, mm -hmm. Because um, mental retardation is a medical diagnosis. And it is something wrong with that word. It's used that way. Uh, not calling someone a even saying it calling someone a retard okay uh it is a medical diagnosis um it is something that i think has been discussed in terms of of changing it to something else um you will see um like in an iep you'll see someone has a, what they call developmental delay or something like that but but uh medical terminology the word mental retardation is words mental retardation are still used um, but uh, but we don't say or she is retarded. Um, that's that's a separate thing. But um, I just find it interesting that a lot of people don't know that it's there's like a knee jerk reaction to it, which there should be because you don't want people using that word in a derogatory manner mm -hmm. or in, 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 a, in a manner which which is ignorant. And uh, I always like to bring it up because in, in nursing. Um, and you're working with that population and you're looking at someone's medical chart, it's in their chart. Uh, so it can kind of freak someone out if they don't know what they're looking at and they see a loved one, uh, they're a medical record and it says mental retardation. You're going, wait a minute, are you calling them names? Or are you, you know, like, this is, this is terrible. You know, it's like, no, 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 no thing that's used, you know? <laughs> yeah. Actual, uh, actual medical term. Well, yes, it is an actual medical term. It should only be used by those that are supposed to use it. It belongs in charts. Right. And that's, and that's pretty it. much the only time you see it. I have to put it down in, you know, I'm charting on a patient. I have to put down their, uh, if I have to list their diagnoses, uh, it's it's listed. And it, it can also be very irritating. Uh, we'll see autism being written down, like, you know, say, say autistic. So they're going, well, what, you know, that, the, Put on the spectrum. Well, that's not a medical diagnosis. We can't use that word. We have to say autism or autistic because those are the the words that we are required to use. So, 
different than, you know, it's, it's not like I'm saying I'm calling you this and I'm using it in a derogatory manner or I'm using your diagnosis against you or whatever. It's complicated. <laughs> I have shouldn't to be that complicated, but it is. It's everything is complicated because it involves, you know, the legal charts or legal documents. Right. So the language is very specific. And they, they, they shouldn't have emotions attached to them. But, you know, language is all about conveying feelings. So right. everything is emotionally charged. And especially when it's been used to um, marginalize, which is, ah. you know, <laughs> on the subject of, you know, the Holy mistreatment of groups. Yes. Ugh. It's, there's a whole mental health, his, history of mental health and, you know, neurodiversity series that can go in this spot because uh, that's how deep and ugly it is. But it's just one of the ways that, you know, when the world upheaves like this, there are some people who are screwed harder. Yes. Um, My God, yes. People who are, who need routine mm -hmm. are, you know, because routine is how they function. Um, their world ended. <sighs> when they couldn't go outside it was more than just oh well i can't go to brunch at that one's place with my friends right. it was my <laughs> all is chaos you know my life is over what even is existence right and depending on the the functioning level of an individual talking about you know dd folks they might they might not even understand why they just know that something is wrong and they are uncomfortable and the things they do to make that not be a thing, they can't do, which makes it worse. And then you get some dumb, some dumb, I can't even say dumb, because they're not dumb. They know exactly what they're doing. They're entitled. Oh, behaviors. No, some entitled. Karen? <laughs> Karen. Yes, we'll call them Karens. That works. That. Some entitled <laughs> Karen complaining about her fucking roots. My roots are showing. I miss brunch. I want to. Everything's closed and I'm cranky. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, okay. bitch. Somebody else's world ended and they don't know how to cope because all of their structures have collapsed. We're talking about people that are like handicapped. Imagine if you are in a wheelchair and you have to touch the wheels of your wheelchair in order to uh, to roll around, and your wheelchairs are touching the ground in the stores, and there's no virus everywhere. Just so. Everyday filth, and then, yeah, stuff that we don't have to touch, they have to touch. Um, things that that we don't even think about. Um, on the subject of wheelchairs, um, one of my daily patients is a transfer to and from wheelchair to get a shower. Um, it's an elderly couple; they live alone. She is a, you know, she is a little old lady, and he is a dude that is two of me <laughs> in just overall mass. She is less than me, and. Before, you know, I started, we, we got everything squared away and I became a regular part of their life. Um, she was worried about, you know, well, what happens if, you know, for her, they've got a spare bedroom. So if she got sick and she had to right. shut herself off in the other side of their condo, she could do that and she could keep distance and keep together and it would change how I had to work. It's a good I point. Like, how do you get away from each other when you can't get away from each other, you know? And so my quarantine group is over several um, specific uh, plats and mailing addresses. But 
I've seen the same handful of people since this started. And every one of them is not really in a position that they can thrive without me. You know, otherwise they wouldn't need someone like me to come in. That's the thing that uh, it's rough with with home care in general is that you're so dependent upon their staff and you're it. Now it's you don't have an option. If you work at a facility, you can, you know, you say, oh, well, I'll just call off or whatever. You know, I, I, which I mean, here again, that's a whole other conversation because, you know, you work in healthcare, you don't call off. Yep. But, uh, oh, but some people do. But there's that option there. Like, if you work in a facility, you can say, well, I still have some sick days or whatever. You work in home health, if, like, you know, if you, Noel, don't go to work, those people don't have anybody else to come in. They have to do without. And so it, there is that added stress level of uh, going, oh, my God, if I don't go to work, so, you know, this is some of the worst people. Healthcare workers are some of the worst people for not, for not doing self-care uh, because we get so wrapped up in taking care of everyone else around us that we, we literally forget. So, you know, if you know a nurse, tell her that she needs to go pee and she should drink some water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to end that with all my phone calls now with my providers. All right, now, go pee and drink some water. Bye. <laughs> Remind your staff to pee and drink some water and eat. If it wasn't for little old ladies, I probably would have starved to death in this career. It's like a, it's like a skill, you know, that you can put on your resume, bladder control. <laughs> Well, you know, when during the day. Single, yeah. Uh, I'm getting some spouse heat because he does feed me at home. <laughs> but thank you, spouse, for feeding Arnoel. Yeah, but I would be <laughs> very skinny and just generally, yeah. yeah. But without little old ladies, this the world would end. I'm pretty sure. Um, Speaking of eating, let's drop another verbal kitten onto the fray. Because so, healthcare is dark. Yep. <laughs> Our lives are dark. I will start oh. by, I will start <laughs> by showing Guy Fieri cat. Can that is talk- a cat. <laughs> Can we talk about Guy Fieri for a moment? Yes. Alright. Guy Fieri gets so much unnecessary shit. Yes. Granted, a lot of people compare him like the nickelback of the food network and things like that, but seriously. <laughs> The dude just loves what he does, and he's excited about what he does. Um, recent news p- pointed out that um, this is from, it looks like, uh, Deseret News. Um, it's actually, it looks like a church newsletter. Who knows? Um, Guy Fieri serves lunch to first responders in California, and he's joining a nacho battle. Um, it talks about <clears throat> how he was um, handed out uh, 1,200 carryout box lunches the frontline workers at Memorial Hospital in Santa Rosa, California. But also, he's working to raise money for a restaurant employee relief fund. The fund gives out $500 to restaurant employees who are impacted by the coronavirus, according to CNN. Um, And he's also working with this nacho battle thing with Bill Murray and Terry Crews and Shaquille O'Neal and Carla Hall, um, which will also help put together money for this so seriously the guys and i saw some photos of this too he should have known better he wasn't wearing a mask but still he was like here i'm signing these boxes and i'm passing out this food because i'm just cooking food and you guys are doing the work so also from columbus (laughs) people forget but they're like what is ohio it's like literally two-thirds of pop culture 
Yeah, restaurants, man. <laughs> Let's see. We have uh, our number one fan of the podcast, LeBron James. Our uh, fake fan. Um, hey, as long as we're getting those numbers from Akron LA, I'm saying that he's in. Watch, listening. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, really, I don't know. I don't know people in LA, and I don't know anyone in Akron who would be listening to me. <laughs> so. It's LeBron. Um, two, we have um, John Legend and uh, Chrissy Teigen. John Legend is yeah. from South. I don't know about John. Le- Chrissy, I don't know where Chrissy Teigen is from, but I know where John Legend is from. I've <laughs> driven past it. It's a it's a wide spot in the road. Um, did you guys get to see the trade for uh, banana bread and romaine lettuce that happened with them? Oh, all right. So. Chrissy Teigen goes on to Twitter saying that she can't find romaine lettuce anywhere, and she'd go through and make a trade with somebody for romaine lettuce. And the guy <laughs> that goes, I have two bags of this. And she's like, I need photo photographic proof that you have this. And he goes and shows a photo of it with holding <laughs> it. She's like, all right, I will, meet, we, I will DM you, and we will meet, and I will give you banana bread for that romaine lettuce. And a tweet later, she's like, oh, wait, I forgot. I only have enough for one banana bread. Will you take half of banana bread? Because John might be mad if I give the whole thing away. And the guy was like, I don't want to have a fight with John Legend, so I will take half of a banana bread. And they took photos of them socially distancing the trade-off. They met at, like, a parking lot, put the things down, like, 12 feet away from each other to go off and tra- swap it out. <laughs> I thought it was the most hilarious thing. And John showed up to be a part of the trade-off, too. So. But, um, yeah, I, I got to give props to Ohio in most respects for what they bring to pop culture and life. But, yeah, Guy Fieri, everybody needs to s- stop mocking the crap out of the guy. He, he, deserves all, he deserves accolades for all the stuff that he does. He, there's so many uh, things going off in promoting what a good guy Guy Fieri is. I don't have to repeat them all, but this is just another example that he's working his butt off to make try to make people's lives easier. Yeah, he just does decent human being thing, which, you know, for a guy who looks like a walking frat joke. Um, yeah, people look at the walking dude. frat joke, they, they just toss it off the side when really he's funneling money to people that need all the things that they do. And he officiates gay weddings. Just posted something up for you guys uh, for later. If you know, that's what topic. our it's what our page is for. Yeah, <laughs> Bill's gonna have a whole a whole lot of fun editing this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that that first that Shane Torres defends Guy Fieri thing. That's the first thing I think of when I think that's of Guy Fieri because he's got flames on his shirt. <laughs> I think of of the 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 casual sadism of Guy's grocery games. <laughs> and just how casual a sadist Guy Fieri is. If you watch that show, that man is my Ohio. Just I <laughs> I I res just his casual just and I'm gonna fuck with you. Somebody say not that and long ago I'm- that if TGI Fridays were a person. <laughs> no, TGI Fridays doesn't have that that tiny spark of suffering and reveling <laughs> in other people's discomfiture because like <laughs> it's it's amazing yeah tgi fridays is all about you know corporate 
sellouts and sucking the life out of everybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nobody nobody is having fun at TGI Fridays. <laughs> if somebody says they've it's had fun at a TGI Fridays, they're lying. They're a pod person. <laughs> so my experience at a TGI Fridays, it was, I was with a group of people, and it was a friend of mine's birthday, and I told her just briefly, I'm like, look, order a dessert. It's your birthday. I'll pay for it. Don't worry about it. Not thinking of anything. And they were like, all right, I'll get the dessert. And I'm sorry, you have to ask before you send out your whole entire staff with a cake. Yeah, don't do that. It was something that's like, look, it was a low-key order a dessert, not a let's bring everybody into the whole entire thing. So, yeah, not fun. Nobody nobody has fun at TGI Friday. And that was the last time I went, but I did order TGI Fridays during the cars. Why? (laughs) Because I'm a sadist. I know you're a masochist. He's a fan of Guy Fieri. I don't. <laughs> oh no. Huh. Oh, did you not know? I just saw the link that you just posted. Yeah. Um. One, it's Malcolm X's birthday, and so everybody go read the autobiography of Malcolm X if you haven't, and if you haven't, read it again. It's a fucking amazing book. Two. Um. We lost Annie Glenn to COVID nineteen. Sucks. She was also a hundred, so yes. <laughs> she was going to die of of being a hundred at some point. But she, you know, she was still pretty sharp and and ticking along. So, yeah, patient that uh, hundred and two, and she was still. This was some years ago, so she's gone now. But she was still in her right mind, still very very lucid. She slept a lot, but uh, she was a tiny little thing. I would go in her room. And she would always have the TV on listening to something. And one night I walked into her room and she said, out of the blue, I thought she was asleep. She said, do you suppose they let you wear pants? I said, excuse me? She said, when you die, did they let you wear pants? Uh, I think you can wear whatever you want. If you want. She said, but don't let them bury me in a dress. I want to wear pants. <laughs> she went back to sleep. It's like one of the cutest conversations I've ever had in my life. <sighs> pants. <laughs> I've had the conversation, you know, because of the, you know, average age of my patients. Sure. Um, it's rough yeah. when they just come out and say, you know, I was helping one of them, one of, I lost her this year and I just, you know, my, I'm still grieving because she was pretty fucking amazing. Um, her family sent me a thank you card, Aww. which just started everything all over again. I mean, this card, it's the inside is covered in writing. Just both sides. So Yeah, they took like almost every inch of that card. Noel showed some of pictures of it to some of us. Yeah, um, there's names, so it's not a general public thing, but I can send it to you on Discord. But yeah, it's um she had a her I think it was her last granddaughter got married shortly after I had started being a part of her routine in her life. And she had this beautiful blush pink suit that she wore as, you know, part of the the bridal party. <laughs> and she wanted to be buried in it. Aww. And, you know, we're organizing clothes. She's like, I, we were getting rid of her shoes because she had stopped wearing shoes closer to the end because she didn't go out and her, it, shoes hurt her feet. So she had a, an assortment of slippers 
because if you didn't rotate them, they'd hurt her feet. She sure. had neuropathy. Um, but she uh, said, we have to keep those shoes. I need those shoes still. It was a pair of shoes that went with her suit. Oh, wow. It's like, you can clean out every other pair of shoes, but I need that pair. Thanks. And it's the things, the things the elderly will look at you and say. Yeah. Because they, they don't have, they're like, there's two, there's two ends in this life journey where you're very emotionally vulnerable and very open. And it's when you're a kid and it's when you're very old. Yes. Once people start getting into their, what I call their twilight years, you know, they're getting into their like late seventies, early eighties, then they become more and more childlike as that time goes on. Um, I've noticed it with my parents and with my in-laws as well, that they are almost like in this living their adolescence phase in, uh, in all the good ways and bad ways. I mean, my dad's playing pickleball or he was before his, um, my parents are in a, are in North Carolina. They're in a, a retirement community that has transitional care. So when they, they're independent right now, but if they need, other services it's all right there on campus so they've done all the work for me which i appreciate because now being an stna and working in home health it's a logistical nightmare yes if you have to do stuff on the fly because your elderly relative is being discharged from the hospital after you know breaking a hip or they're being discharged from rehab after a similar injury you're having to coordinate all this care on the fly and you don't know what's going on and, yeah, it's awful. And then you have to let a stranger in when to look after your fragile loved one, and it's it's crazy. We've had a lot of cases that have just you know we tried to open them because these people needed help, but they're too scared to start care. So yeah. these people who are desperate for us can't get what they need because it could kill them, which is the opposite of what we want to do. Yeah, I uh. And, it's guard so to the virus. That's a question that's been coming up a lot lately is people asking about like with home health care stuff, like what are you guys doing about that? Or is there going to be more of a, you know, and one of the things people keep asking me is, do you think there's going to be this more, this influx of, because there's never any nurses available for home health care. It's like, there's just never any, um, no, we're staffed forever. Uh, same thing with home health aides. And, um, we're hiring. Is, Exactly. The turnover rate is, is just consistent. So uh, you are saying that maybe there will be more of an influx of, of nurses who want to do home health care aides who want to go back and doing home care because they don't want to work in facilities. And I'm going, yeah, maybe if you paid them more. Like, you know, <laughs> like I mean, my agency pays more than the facilities in the area for right now for a little agency. Wow. They're trying. Um, they're not national church residences, but then national church residence is huge and they're yeah. not, you know, and they're not, um, Ohio health, Ohio health pays better than I'm getting. I don't want to work in a hospital. I, my neurodiverse brain would not function in that environment. I would crash and burn and hate my job and run away to Kobacher house. And I am not emotionally prepared to work at Kobacher house, which is their um, I offered a job there several times, and I. Uh, it's a it's a great find it, but it's a great place. It's where my grandmother um, went into um, end of life care, um, so I'm very familiar with it. And if I had to go 
work anywhere. I would go in hospice. I would go work for that hospice just to give back because they did. They were so compassionate that a lot of good things about them. But I'm I am not ready. I have enough problems with them with my patients still mostly being alive Mm -hmm. that I don't think I can say goodbye all the time. You know, it it hurts too much to say goodbye infrequently. I lost three patients this year um, to one funeral I went to. One one was one of, like, my first patients, and one was also um, a family member. So that was, that stung on a different level. Um, But one of the reasons I kind of took a break from I was doing before I got into theatrics um, uh, was for that very reason because it was working in the facility, but it was uh, a lot of end of life care, a lot of um, patients with um, facilitating things like like MS, uh, end stage MS, end mm-hmm. stage Parkinson's, things like that. And so they're not going to get better. You know what the end result is going to be. And every day you go to work and you're just going, well, who's it going to be today? You know, and, and it was. I guess it wasn't very uplifting to, you know, there were, there were never any stories of anybody walking out of that place. So uh, it could be really draining. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do make, you know, grim jokes. There's only a couple of ways people move off my schedule. <laughs> they either transition into a facility or they transition past the need for anybody anymore. Um, and, you know, I've had some transfer to, a fa- to facilities and that's okay. It's still sad because this family that I've, become emotionally intimate with on a level that's so it's so strange to be in this field and work with the population I do um, because in a lot of ways some of they're, they're forgotten and they're Very sort of much. left on the sidelines Very much so. And even if they have loving families they're not getting you know tons of visitors most of their friends are dead or incapable of visiting them um I, at you know, for uh, one of the people I've helped, I and the other aide that was in the case were daily visits from somebody outside the family group, just somebody from the outside world, a different face. And, you know, that's it's an interesting place to be in someone's life because you're you're different from a friend mm-hmm. because you're an employee. It's you can. Like for you, you can cut with the the pediatrics and working with the the populations you do. You've got that. You're sort of a parent, but you're also not. You know, you're also you really expensive babysitter. (laughs) Really expensive babysitter, but we occupy this weird space in society, and you know, it's a space that we occupy oddly all the time. and even in hospitals and in nursing homes and in prisons and everywhere, the healthcare workers that are not glamorized live in just the most interesting space. Um, our my family friend um, has, you know, with working with infectious disease and being part of the AIDS clinical trials unit, you know, she's retirement age, so she she lived through the last pandemic that. Hit that disproportionately impacted marginalized portions of the United States population. You know, and the ones that survived that are 
grimly watching the same shit happen, but it's also happening to straight white people. Right. <laughs> and so at least they can take grim satisfaction in that it's hitting them, <laughs> you know, a little less indis- it COVID-19 is a little less indiscriminate than Extremely. HIV. Yeah. Um, it's still disproportionately impacting um, minorities and the anybody who's not straight and white and rich. Um, so that's most of us. Get a test done every You don't have a yacht to hide on. Yes, but a lot of people aren't allowed to even go on their yachts at this time either. So, yeah, well, thank you. Hard. <laughs> oh, life must be hard. Cry more. Your tears sustain me. But, you know, we occupy this space and for um, the, the infect, infectious disease nurses in the 80s and 90s, this, they were all these people had a lot of the time. Right. You know, their caregiver, their nurses, and especially at the end. They didn't have family that was even willing to come see them or family that existed. They, they couldn't get people in the, there were, you know, it, it took a a specific sort of ferocity to set aside the stigma and do their jobs because you know. And now with COVID nineteen, what if you're if you get it and you're gonna die, you're gonna die alone because no right. one's allowed to visit you. That's right. And we're not allowed to touch you. That's one of the biggest frustrations for me is that you know skin to skin contact with my patients tells me so much about their health. You know, I can, if I'm seeing them every day or I'm helping them with a shower and you know, doing skincare a couple of times a week, I get that chance with clean hands and skin to skin contact to notice differences in their feet that I can't necessarily see because I can't get the, a good angle to look at the whole foot. So, you know, it's not fear that's keeping people from caring for those dying from this new pandemic. It's not that, you know, they want to let these people die alone. It's that they're not, it's not safe to give them the most basic comfort of having somebody sit with them. Contact, uh, couplet precaution, contact precautions are, uh, really, really rough psychologically for both the care provider and the patient. Mm. Um, is normally, I mean, versus that's when you're doing direct patient care of any kind, that's our goal is to be able to lay hands on someone and make them feel better and mm-hmm. make them feel comfortable, be able to provide care. When you can't even touch that person without some kind of barrier between you and them, uh, it can be very dehumanizing and uh, demoralizing. And uh, I can't imagine, I've, I've taken care of patients where I had to have contact precautions before in and of itself is is a bitch but uh it's it's a pain in the ass you can't onto things like you want to you can't see things like you want to um you can't breathe uh the way so you like imagine, to yeah, the way you need to uh, so i can't imagine how awful it must be just and how defeating it must be right now just feel like you're not even even with all of that you're not even doing any you know any good at all looking at the cdc <laughs> website they were about the coronavirus when we're talking about the <clears throat> inequities, um, it talks about uh, on the page for COVID-19 and racial and ethnic minority groups. Um, in the first paragraph, it goes off and says, 
a recent CDC MMWR report included included race and ethnicity data among the from the 580 patients hospitalized with lab confirmed COVID-19. Found that 45% of the individuals for the race or ethnicity data was available were white compared to 55% of the individuals of the surrounding community. However, 33% of the hospitalized patients were black compared to 18% of the community and 8% of were Hispanic compared to 14% of the community. The data suggests the, an overrepresentation of blacks among hospitalized patients because minorities are in the position that they are more likely to catch this because of economic factors, living factors, a lot of factors that white people, including me, don't have to deal with. Having access to healthcare. healthcare. Having, mm-hmm. ex- having being able to work from home. Transportation. I mean, um, being in, I've follow a lot of pages about, um, you know, I try to be as intersectional a feminist as I can get away with, um, which is, you know, I'm learning how to be a better one every day, but queer people tend to be in service, tend to disproportionately be representative in service industries, mm-hmm. um, minorities, women, everything that's making society go is, or has been grievously impacted by shutdowns um, is not affecting corporate America. Mm. I mean, corporate America doesn't have stuff to spend money on because the salons are closed. Yeah. yeah and if you, you know, you look at that, I mean, it makes sense. Like, you know, who's doing your hair and your nails? Usually a woman. Um, you know, I don't want to stereotype, but most of the men I know who do hair are not straight uh, unless they work in a barbershop or something. Um, I have a exception of- that, you know, the guy that does my hair is a straight male, but that's, he's, he's like a unicorn. <laughs> so. I mean, most of the people I know that, that, uh, cut hair, style hair, they're going to yell at me, do hair. Um, they're, even if they are female presenting, they're not necessarily straight or gender conforming or, <laughs> you know, quote unquote, normal. People that work in in those type of industries, you know, most nurses are women. There again, healthcare workers, most of us are female. Uh, If you are in uh, direct patient contact. um, You are far and away more likely to be female. Um, I am, I haven't seen all of the staff, but I think among like the very, you know, the rank and file the aides who are, you know, out there grinding it out every day with the same patients and logging, you know, hours and hours with people. I think I'm a, I think I'm a complexion minority or it's 50, 50, but there's one guy. Yeah. There's I, one, uh, one dude. Um, most of our- my agency is through has one male working in it. He owns the company. I, we have more guys as go up the ranks. All of, um, one of our nurses, um, male and he's also the owner um i'm not sure on all of our pts and sts and ot's all of the therapists um so there are skilled clinicians that are not nurses um there are more men there but you know it's still it's a very predominantly female of all of our of all of the rns and lpns that i have come 
in direct contact with, you know, and I am aware of presentation and pronouns and everything, one dude. Sure. One one. So and more you see more males working in healthcare all the time, but still it's about you know there was one guy in my <laughs> There was one guy in my STNA class. Um, everybody, everybody but me, I think, was prepping for nursing school. But I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause here. Um, about half, uh, it was about fifty-fifty on complexion diversity. Um, but a lot of people that, a, a lot of women that were not from here originally, and by from here, I mean from Central Ohio or this continent. So you know, home health has a lot of immigrant, a lot of minority, oh, yeah. a lot of, you know, I worry about my coworkers going out to places because Central Ohio isn't, you know, a bastion of <laughs> liberalness. And like I said, I'm in rural Delaware, Franklin County, with a little, with the occasional foray into Licking County, because um, that's the side of our service area I'm on. Um, these are farmers. I'm, I'm like in I Columbus, so that's not. Yeah, Columbus is weird because it's like bordered by all these very conservative areas, and Columbus, in and of itself, especially Central Columbus, is extremely liberal by comparison. Yeah, it's, it's weird. weird. Well, I always weird that way. Um, yes. Until you get to Cincinnati, and then it's like everywhere, or and then Hamilton <laughs> County is liberal as fuck, and then Cincinnati itself is like old school right. Republicans. Old school Republicans, not the new ones, not the cultists, yeah. the ones who booed and hissed at uh, Larry Flint. Yeah. So he went one county over and built his porn store <laughs> off of 75 because oh, he wasn't allowed to open it in Hamilton County. <laughs> it's it's weird. Um, I think of all of the space, even with how diverse and liberal Columbus is, I think one of the 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 city that will do the best um, in weathering this health crisis is actually Hamilton County and Cincinnati um, because they have this weird little property tax levy. It's not so little, but it subsidizes the hospitals. Mm. So if you have zero access to health care, you can apply for the, the, the tax levy and get subsidized or no additional cost care. So before the Affordable Care Act, I lived in this. I lived in Cincinnati, and I got so much healthcare because I was super broke. Um, and once I discovered that it was available, yes, did I? Yes, I had to go to UC. Yes, I had to wait forever, but I could see a doctor. I could get my ADHD treated. I could have, you know, well, health take my health taken care of. <clears throat> Speaking of health getting taken care of, this is breaking news. Uh oh. Um, and this is good news, actually, in regards to this. Um, a Texas federal judge on, on Tuesday has ruled that all voters afraid of catching the coronavirus can request an absentee mail in ballot due to the pandemic. In Texas, or is this in federal? Texas, uh, oh. Texas federal judge. Um, Holy shit. Because. Um, District Judge Fred Beery ruled that the disability provision in the state's vote-by-mail election code applies to all registered voters, lack immunity from COVID-19, and fear infection at polling places. 
So um, basically, if, if you're going to possibly catch COVID-19, you're disabled. Um, but this is good. Look, it's Texas. We'll take the half a win. It's fine. That's yes. what I said. Yeah, it's Texas. We'll take the win. It's fine. Um, and hopefully this will help with other states because we need as many votes at the polls as possible in November. And even if you're uh, able to get the primaries before that, but still, seriously. Get your absentee ballot now. Shameless, shameless plug. Absentee ballots are available for everybody. Fucking vote. And while we're on the subject of, you know, health and quiz and half a win news, um, Ruby Rose is leaving Batman after only one season because she got fucked up. Batwoman. Batwoman. Um, Ruby Rose is leaving Batwoman because she got super fucked up on the job. She didn't say exactly why, but assumed that the back injury that left her almost paralyzed is factor of show. Okay. Yeah, she didn't actually say. She just said that she was. However, okay. the half of the win part is that Greg Berlanti and their and the production said that they will be hiring another LGBTQ actress to replace her. Yes, um, but let's hope that you know the back surgery continues to heal well. That stuff is a bitch. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed for Ruby Rose because now is the worst time to need back surgery or any surgery or. You know, yeah, she's still rehabbing. It still fucked up her immune system. But the surgery, at least, yeah, that went okay. So, but follow up the more important part. Yeah, Bill covered that part. Yes, (laughs) unless I happen actually listening. (laughs) It's fucking sides, fucking side seat podcasting. Do you want to be on the show? You can take over for me. I'll go take a nap or a bath. Or wash my hair. <laughs> I'll take a lady break. <laughs> Adventure Cube core. <laughs> Fuck you. All right. I just want to bring on one more bit of um, verbal kittens during this whole entire thing. It actually involves kittens, so to speak. Oh, um, yes. Thanks to sheltering in place, animal shelters are empty. Yay! Let's have homes. <laughs> Because humans have support animals. Humans have support animals. Humans are like, I'm home all the time. I need something that will keep me company. I will foster your 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 pets. I got headphones right here. <laughs> I need something that will love me unconditionally. <laughs> I will say because that. I will foster a pet and never give it back because it. That's the that's the funny thing. You're saying that, and I'm watching like these dodo uh, things mm-hmm, of foster like, fails of 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 COVID nineteen foster fails. They're like, well, we're home, and we decided that this would be a perfect opportunity to foster a cat. And they're like, I can't live without this cat. I'm adopting it. It's mine. <laughs> it's everything that I wanted. <laughs> and all the dogs, the seat, especially the senior dogs. Oh, the videos about senior dogs. It's like, I brought the senior dog into my home. She was skittish. Now she's all love and joy and stuff. And I can't let anybody take the hard work I put into this dog. (laughs) So it's it's been wonderful looking at for in regards to, um, it's at least helping in that regard. And um, it's helping... 
the animal shelters do what they need to do to get things that get the support they need to get things out. Um, it's a, it's something good, and hopefully it will continue, and people will realize what animals need, mean to the communities themselves. Uh, it's, it, it's it's tough when you lose a pet. Uh, I still and, mourn every day missing my cat. So and it's <clears throat> go ahead. No, I'm done. I meant Amanda. Oh, <laughs> oh I said same. <laughs> it's um the with as I have nine foster fails, some of whom are staring at me pathetically through the office doors because they're like, "Why are you not loving on us? It is snuggle time, mother. You are home from work and not wearing pants. Why are we not sprawled across you?" Um, seriously, our the French doors to our office. Um, the woodwork is jacked up from them trying to get in here. Um, we can post pictures to the the blog or the whatever the instas, um, whatever you fucking kids say. Send, um, the, send me the pictures; but, I'll get it everywhere. So don't worry about it. <laughs> but it's the you don't realize how much you needed this specific animal until that animal comes into your life. And you develop that bond. I didn't know I needed an antisocial potato, um, neuro <laughs> neurodiverse runt Siamese. But then we got Mao, and we not so jokingly say she's slightly autistic um, <laughs> because she'll she'll biscuit on. I've got a an IKEA bath mat. It's the nubby one under my desk for my feet so that they're not on the cold cement floor. I said her name. Now she's screaming outside the <laughs> office door. But she'll bust into the office and run around the office and yell at, yell at my spouse and yell at me. And she's got to tell us everything. And then she'll come over to... She doesn't do it on... His, she does it occasionally on his foot mat. He's got the same mat. But she always does it on mine. She will come over and she will zone out making biscuits. You know, she'll make a few and then she'll get into it and her eyes will glaze over and she'll stare into the middle distance like when you're having a pleasant sensory overload moment, which anyone with ADHD can tell you is a thing. And it's really nice until you realize you've been petting that sweater in the department store for five minutes and everyone's <laughs> staring at you and you're like, <laughs> and then you awkward turtle away. Uh, but she'll, she'll just get into her biscuit routine on a, on a material she likes and go on autopilot and it's adorable. But I didn't know I needed this antisocial little twerp <laughs> until she started stealing french fries out of my hand and screaming in my face or any of the other eight of them who are their own pain in the ass. Like we didn't know we needed ginger until she started sleeping all 15 pounds of her on our chest under our chins then we realized that we really didn't need her but she's been here for years now so we're stuck with her <laughs> and the fact that people are getting that opportunity now that they wouldn't have taken taking that chance because well fuck i'm stuck at home i might be alone i might be in an emotionally distant roommate situation you know there's a lot of reasons people even in a community setting aren't getting community contact that they just fling open the doors and that there are so many foster fails. I'm not surprised. And it's, it, it's amazing. This is happening. It's one of the little things that isn't making any of this worthwhile, but at least is keeping 
my tiny faith in humanity, you know, fed. It's not all bad. It, and uh, actually, it's mostly bad. I want to add but, to say this. Um, we are not a wrestling podcast. However, I just ran across this. Um, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin wearing a face mask. All right. One of the guys that legitimizes being a tough guy outdoors wearing a face mask. Someone, uh, he posted that on his Instagram. Someone responded, the mask goes against your reputation. Stay strong, be a rebel, and do not conform. Cool mask can strip off the communism. His response was, shut up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if Stone Cold can wear a mask, you can you can too, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Shut up, dude. <laughs> seen a bunch of people like, well, some people find it emotionally stressful and anxiety inducing. Hi, I have breath retention. I have breath retention issues due to trauma. Hi, we'll go into when it's the next time it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month and it's not the end of the world. We'll go into some shit. Put a pin in that. I promise. I'll tell you some stories. They all suck. Um, but because of past trauma, I have breath retention issues and breath control issues, like having to control my breathing, doing patterned breathing for yoga. Um, there are some uh, pranayama that involve holding your breath or constricting the breath in some way that actively give me anxiety to do. And my yoga instructor is amazing. Check out her YouTube. I'll have been actually. <laughs> She's amazing. Check out her YouTube. I can shamelessly po plug her. Post it. Um, I'll make sure it's on the I will. Um, and I'll post her PayPal. She's she yo teaching yoga is her joy and her passion and her vocation. She's also um, a geologist and works for the EPA. So she's out there protecting groundwater and doing cool science shit. Um, she's wonderful. Sydney, I love you. You don't listen to the podcast, but I'm talking you up a second. Um, she's got some training in trauma-informed yoga, and she knows this about me, so we don't do those breaths, or she'll, you know, she'll check. It's, it's even really subtle. Like, she'll check in. Are you, do you have the mental capacity and the spoons and the emotional capacity to do this breathing? Because it's kind of integral to the part of the, you know, sometimes, sometimes complex breathing patterns are integral to the class and I can get through them on the right day. If not, there's always something else I can do. Um, but I've worn various levels of masks, you know, from N95 to multiple layers of quilting fabric. Mm -hmm. um, I say I much enjoy the four layer quilting fabric over everything else I've put on because those fitted handmade masks are one of the only things that fit my face. Sidebar, they're realizing that PPE isn't cut for women. Ah. Like masks and, and gowns and gloves and all that shit. Hairnets and goggles. That's why women have these deep, um, especially if they're working in COVID units, they've got those deep impressions in their faces because they're having to ratchet down so hard oh. on the straps to get a to get a tight seal so the gear works appropriately um it's i know <laughs> yes patriarchy is dumb smash it it's killing people <laughs> literally right now 
the fact that the world is centered around men is killing people who are trying to save lives. Um, this also goes for uh, first responders and in and soldiers, literally anywhere that you know. Equal opportunity says everybody is allowed to put, allowed to put their lives in danger. If you are not standard male shaped, you're fucked. Um, this even goes for smaller proportioned. Sorry, we can't do a spacewalk today because we don't have a spacesuit that fits you. <laughs> because your your proportions are different. I'm short and. I'm I'm not petite. I'm just like three quarter scale, so I get that nothing ever fit. NASA was just stupid because it's like, how are you not prepared for that? You were aware of these women for a while. It's not like they just showed up in space that day. Uh, it's the we didn't realize that they didn't fit in normal people suits. Those aren't normal people suits. Those are men sized suits. <laughs> um, but. You know, I've had the the N95 level. I've had the the fabric. I've had the disposable. Um, they've got like plastic on one side, a bunch of tiny holes in it, and then there's the disposable cloth on the other, paper, yeah. whatever. They might be surgical grade. I don't know. I've never worn a surgical mask. This is all new to me. Um, normally, when I'm wearing a mask, it goes over the top half of my face. So yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but. If I paper ones, um, there are a lot of them going on around right now that people are getting off the internet, and they're actually not like no good. Yeah, is, uh, to double layer them, but the good way to test a mask to see whether or not it's working. Those paper masks is put it on, then light a match or something like that in front of you and blow through it. If it wavers, then it's not good. That's a useful but, tip. Yeah, um, you're like blowing through it, so if, or just double up on it. Like if you get a huge pack of fifty, just like wear it too. And. But the, the if I, who have, you know, anxiety around not being able to get a full breath, can wear a mask and clean someone's house. So I'm not just idling through Costco at grocery shopper speeds. I'm doing intense labor. I'm scrubbing a toilet. I'm washing out a bathtub. I'm mopping a floor. I'm being active. I'm working out, essentially. If I can do it, you're... But some people have anxiety. Yeah, we'd rather not die. We'll send someone else if it's we're having so much anxiety over wearing a mask that we can't go out in public. We'll find a way around that. I'm sure that there are people that are just that claustrophobic, but overall, like, majority of people can... Yeah, the majority of people who are claiming they're that claustrophobic right. are the same source of people who just want to bring their Yorkies to the store. <laughs> So far, I've only had one issue with wearing a mask the few times I've gone out in public, but I still wore the mask. And for some reason, wearing the mask blocks my lower death perception, um, and it weirds me out. So I have to like be very careful where I walk. Other than that, I don't want to catch anything. So I you have, have a, a really weird face shape. Then I have I have fat cheeks, and I have a big nose. No, you so, chubby cheeks. The combination of a combination of fat cheeks and a big nose means that it gets blocked. I mean, I have to make sure I'm downstairs before I put my mask on because I'm afraid I'm going to miss a stare. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, it's like whatever. I don't want to die. No one else does. Steve wear glasses. You get like the fog in the glasses. You know. I'm not and, having a problem with uh, my fabric mask. And I don't wear glasses yeah. because I'm vain. I guess it's because the fabric mask sits more properly on my face, so I'm not getting 
I, I'm getting a better seal, so I'm not getting the leak right around the edges, which is nice. Um, but wear your mask. I, somebody, you know, we've got people tattling on businesses in Ohio, and I'm very proud of everybody who's tattling on the businesses in Ohio because these people are literally screwing around with everybody's health with their lack of social distancing and masks and general disregard for human life. Um, I, I brought up in a Facebook post to somebody who was, you know, stressing about the people reporting businesses that aren't operating correctly and people have throwing parties um, that, you know, somebody in the thread had posted, well, I did all these things. This is the amount of risk I accept and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, that's fine. I work in home health. I don't consent to your level of risk. I go to the same grocery store you do, running errands for my elderly patients, who also did not consent to your level of risk. Uh, I and then I go. I, I I take germs on my clothing back to their house to drop off their grocery or do whatever you know. And no matter how hard I work, how much Lysol I bathe in, how many times I change, how many showers I take in a day, it's not enough. The biggest frustration for me is there are some people that just have to like let it go because there are some people that want to be educated and, and they will absorb things when you tell them that maybe they didn't realize before. And there are people that just fuse science. There are people that are content to live in ignorance. It's, it's like that. It's like brutal uh, and that to me is like it's maddening. It doesn't really matter futility. It doesn't matter what you say to them. They're just going to do what they want anyways. It's like that post that's been going around recently from someone's Facebook conversation. It's that basically is going. So yeah, the CN- CDC says this, but aren't you going to do your own research? And the person's like, yeah. No, I'm not going to do my <laughs> own research. It's the CDC that's got billions of dollars researching this. What am I going to fucking do? I mean, granted, the current yeah. head of the CDC is was a complete fuck up during the AIDS crisis, but but that's a horrible story from Cracked. Um, Cracked.com did a wonderful article on Robert Redfield, who is a you know, not someone you want in charge of any of what's going on. And yet here he is in charge of the CDC. It's sort of the story of this administration. The last person you want in charge of X is the person with the job. America. America. <laughs> We're all gonna die. I know we don't ha- I know we don't have any international listeners, so we can all commiserate together as Americans that yes. we're all gonna die down here. Yes. <laughs> you just red queen. In kind of a sad hey, way, hey, yes. Hey, we're hey. all going to die down here. We have international listeners. We do? Yes. Our Actually. sponsor and producer is an Save yourself! <laughs> Vanessa. We are lost to your cause. Don't visit. <laughs> we are telling you, Vanessa, do not visit. <laughs> We've dug too deep. Save yourselves. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually just to double check. The, I'm actually going into our um, stats right now, just to double check the claim. I'm being Snopes right now to see. Oh, good, Snopes, our- my shit. <laughs> I'll just be Karen Kilgariff and say things with such authority that everybody believes I'm correct until we get a thousand tweets. Okay, so we have listeners that 
seem to be binge listening to us, actually. Um, in the United Kingdom, Ireland, Germany, Sweden, Australia, and Canada. Because technically, Canada is not the United States. <laughs> No, but we sneeze on them a lot, so <laughs> yes, I don't know if they, I don't know if they count as <laughs> safe right now because we sneeze a lot. But we still them. got we basically got all the white people st- countries. So boo, <laughs> um, that's disappointing. We we promise I mean, to branch out at some point. Yes, um, which just means we need to get more diverse. I can only absorb so much knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there there are a lot of white people in Canada, but they're not terrible. Like, <laughs> except Canada the biggest argument in Canada is between one group of descendants of white colonizers complaining that their ancestors weren't as good at colonizing as the other descendants of white colonizers ancestors and thus their language is special and need protected bitch you're just French <laughs> I said it it's come at me Canada French. Just that right. whole that whole Quebec debate is just a bunch of second place colonizers descendants complaining that they didn't conquer enough Canada. Yes, right. Oh, you know it. what else is from Canada? Quebec. Quebec. <laughs> hmm? So I think this is a good time to wrap things up since. We've, before we can start a war on Canada. <laughs> before I start World War Three with Canada. It's going to be the most polite, passive-aggressive war ever. They're just going to send me Shit's Creek memes. It'll be fine. <laughs> so, um, again, hey. next month is Pride Month. We're looking for ideas, exactly. stories, anything that you want in regards to um, Pride. So, really, if you want to share your story, yeah, let's, get, let's know. Um, yes, it's it's year two of us being in, in existence for Pride Month. Let's be bigger and queerer than last year. Um, exactly. We had some really Every cool day. queer gaming. Uh, <laughs> we had a really cool queer gaming roundtable, and we'd like to do even more awesome. Um, that's when we did our first interview with Holly, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Sweet. So bigger, badder, more drag, more... More inclusive, June. Oh, jeez, you're bleeding. I'm sorry. Stop it! <laughs> that being said, write us at xchromosomepodcast.com. That's write us at xchromosomepodcast.com. So, I'm sorry he was awake the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, my name is Bill. I'm Noelle, and thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. Thank you for having me. And we all have an X chromosome. And now we're going to check out the bot. Okay, Craig the bot, who's not Craig the author. Get the fuck out. Craig, get out. Craig, you're fired. Craig the bot, why do you never do what I want? Because my computer is done cooperating. God, he
Yeah.